Hello, Emmanuel and Cornerstone Bridgeport, Cornerstone West Loop, Resurrection. It's so good to be with you. My name is Trevor. I'm pastor at City Light Church in Aurora. And a warm greeting to you all. It's been such a joy to walk through this Jeremiah series together in a strange season where we're all a little more disconnected than normal. Um, what a gift to be able to connect in this way and journey all together with you. A uh, special good morning to all of our kids who are watching. We love having you as part of our live streams. And kids, I've got a question just for you this morning. Have you ever played the game Pin the Tail on the Donkey? Do you know the game I'm talking about? You've got a, a target on the wall, and then you've got something in your hand that you need to stick to the center of the target. But you have to do it with your eyes closed. And you have to try to find and make sure you get it right in the right spot without peeking. And sometimes to make it really difficult, you get spun around like this so that you don't know where you're going. And then you try to find the right spot and you realize you're, you're not even anywhere close. Have you ever played that game? If you have, then send a, a little post onto the Facebook wall. Let us know. We'd love to see who's played uh, Pin the Tail on a Donkey. I kind of feel like this year, 2020, is playing that game with us. Like we've been blindfolded and spun around and we're trying to find our way in the midst of so much disequilibrium, so much disorientation. And when you're feeling disoriented, we all look for different guides. And you can see people looking everywhere for accurate information or for somebody who's done something like this before or some way we can understand where we're trying to go or where we should be going. One example, uh, many of us with children have been trying to figure out what are we going to do for our kids' school this year? What are the options even going to be? And then which one is best? And what if they change after a few months? And we're asking every single person we can think of, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing with your kids? Even people without kids, you know, the Amazon Prime driver comes up. What are you doing with your kids? We're looking for guidance, and I've been so grateful that the word of the Lord to Jeremiah has been such a guide to us this summer. And this morning's image of hope that we find in chapter 33 is the image of a guide, a shepherd king who comes to guide us in the right ways, in the ways of justice and the ways of following God's ways of righteousness. So let's look at this passage together. Turn in your Bibles there to Jeremiah 33, grab your journals, and we want to see a new pasture, a new shepherd, a new promise, and a new flock. Verses uh, 1 through 13 is this first section, a new pasture, and verse 1 tells us that Jeremiah is writing this while he's in prison, confined in the courtyard of the guard. But not only is he in prison, but he's in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is besieged, it's surrounded by the enemy army that's about to come in and fully destroy them. So he's imprisoned and then besieged. So I guess 2020 could get worse. And he looks around and this is what the Lord says. He says, verse 10, it is a desolate waste without people or animals, deserted, not inhabited by anyone. And then picking up where we started reading today in verse 12, it's a desolate place without people or animals, no one's living there. It's not safe to live there. In all the towns, the promise comes, in all the towns, there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. And then in verse 13, 
in the towns of Judah, flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. This is a pretty bold declaration for a guy who's imprisoned and besieged. But it's the job of a shepherd to find places that aren't desolate, that can't be, that can be inhabitable. He's there to keep safe from the enemy. He's there to provide and to protect. And the promise of God is that in this place that is a wasteland, where there is no provision, where there is no protection, there will come a shepherd who will provide and protect. There will be a new pasture in the wasteland. It reminds me of week two when we talked about the tree that even though they're in the desert bears fruit, even though you're in the ruins of a city, there's pasture. There's a new pasture with a new shepherd. A couple years ago, my wife, uh, Bonnie and I, we bought a house here in Aurora by God's grace, and it's 109 years old. And so because it's so old and historic, the city gave us some money to fix um, the exterior. It had some rotten parts. It hadn't been painted in about 40 years or so, we think. Um, and so we started that project, but we, we were looking at the front porch, which we love, but the, the floor of the front porch, the paint was really terrible. It made it a little bit hard to be out there and there were all these cracks and gouges and it just been painted over decade after decade for a hundred years with another layer, never fixing the problems, just painting them over them. And in places it was like a quarter of an inch thick and we knew the bottom layer was lead paint. So it was hazardous there as well. So it wasn't a safe place to be. It wasn't a beautiful place to be, um, but we knew it could be. So I started asking around, what do I do? How do I, how do I refinish this? So I, I borrowed a heat gun from a friend and the heat gun goes up to, I don't know, I think it says like 900 degrees, 1000 degrees, and it melts the paint off. And then you take a little chisel and you scrape, 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 you melt, you scrape, scrape. So I put in my earbuds, got a, an audiobook, and put on long sleeves, long pants, and 90 degree heat, and gloves, and a mask, and set to work. And after about two hours, I was thoroughly enjoying my audiobook. The time just flew by. And I looked up and I was like, wow, let's see how much I did. I counted the boards, like inch wide boards. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I stood up. I looked at the other 151 boards on my porch and did some very sad, disheartening math. I thought, wow, this is, this is gonna take a lot to get past these 100 years of buildup, past uh, generations of gunk, to do the actual burning, scraping, sanding, and refinishing that it needs to make this place uh, habitable, inhabitable again. And it made me think as I was scraping hour after hour of so many of the realities in our lives this year with COVID, with the isolation we're experiencing at home. Um, more time together is a, a wonderful gift that, in our homes. But sometimes it means um, bringing up layers of things that we haven't really dealt with that have just been painted over um, in our families, in our histories, in our own personal lives. We've seen that in our communities where issues of racial injustice and, and um, oppression and, and, and things that we've just kind of painted over but we've never gotten to the bottom of, um, they're, they're coming forward and, 
and the promise of God into all of these situations that uh, appear desolate, that appear like wastelands, that are just a, a pile of layers of ruin, is that there can be a pasture again, that there can be a place again that's full of life and beauty and safety. And it's because there is a new shepherd coming to bring us into a new pasture. Verses 14 through 16 begin to tell us about this new shepherd. Verse 15, in those days and at that time, I'll make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. David was a shepherd who became the king of Israel. And it was during his reign that Israel had sort of its golden years, the, the good old days. And a branch sprouting from him just means one of his descendants, someone from his family tree, will be a shepherd, will be a king. And it will be a king who does what is just and what is right in the land. The reason that they're in a place of desolation, the reason that their city is being laid to waste is that they're being judged for their injustice and their unrighteousness. In the very next chapter, Jeremiah will write a letter to King Zedekiah. And he'll say, um, he'll, he's challenging and he's critiquing and he's opposing a broken promise that Zedekiah made. Zedekiah said, and a lot of other officials and rulers and leaders had said, I will follow the law of Moses and set these slaves free. And then he went back on his promise and he re-enslaved them. And Jeremiah writes this letter saying, what you've done is wrong. It's against the way of God. It's unjust. And this is the injustice that is bringing judgment on the people of Israel. He says uh, earlier in Jeremiah in chapter 23, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Israel has been under unjust shepherds. But this new shepherd will come and bring justice. Don't we long for that in our cities and in our hearts and our own homes? But injustice isn't the only problem. It says this new shepherd will do what is right in the land, or he will be righteous. He will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. And that idea of righteousness is following God's law, following his way. And we've seen over and over again throughout the book of Jeremiah, the idolatry of the people of Israel and of its leaders, that they haven't followed God's way, that it, they've actually chosen to leave God's way, leave God's way for their communal life together, leave God's way of um, prayer and relationship with him, leave God's way of sexual practice. And they've gone after other gods and they've gone after other ways. They've been unfaithful. And they've taught their children to be unfaithful. And Jeremiah says, you're going to be judged for that. But when the new shepherd comes, not, not, not the shepherds who have scattered the flock and who have caused this judgment to come, but when the new shepherd comes, he will lead you in ways of justice and righteousness. We can relate to needing that kind of leadership, can't we? We think about that on a national or state or regional or city level, but we think about it in our own lives too. We need help leading lives of righteousness and justice. Verse 14 says that God's com coming to fulfill the good promise he made to the people. That word promise is uh, often translated as covenant in the Old Testament. It will be later on in verses 20 and following. 
And we don't use the word covenant very often anymore, but a, a good way to think of it is like a marriage covenant because a marriage covenant is both a legal, binding, public reality and also an intimate, personal relationship. God had made a covenant with his people. He said, you'll be my people and I will be your God. Those were his covenant vows that he made and that Israel made back to him. But just like King Zedekiah's broken promise to free the slaves, Israel has broken her promise to God. She has been an unfaithful spouse. She has not um, lived with justice toward the widow, the orphan, the poor, the refugee, the oppressed. She has not followed in God's way of righteousness. And because that's true, what we might expect God to say here would be something like this. You've been found in breach of contract and our relationship has been terminated. I have updated my Facebook relationship status and we are never, ever, ever, ever getting back together. But that's not what God says. Instead, in just the chapter before, God renews his covenant vows. He says in chapter 32, verse 38, then they will be my people and I will be their God and I will make an everlasting covenant with them when he could have and maybe some would say should have skipped out on this relationship with this unfaithful uh, people. Instead, he renews his vows and he renews his promise, but not only a renewal of a promise, but a new promise. He says in the beginning of this section in Jeremiah, I am making a new promise. The days are coming, chapter 31, verse 31 when I will make a new covenant. And this new covenant will not be broken. In this next part, he says, um, chapter uh, 33, verses 19, 20, 21, he says, you might break your covenant, but you can't ever make me break mine. He says he's made a covenant with the night and the day. What's he talking about? Well, God says that he made the earth spin around. He made night and day follow after each other, day and night after day after night. He says, I made a promise for the world to run that way. And he says to his people, if you can make the night and day stop, if you can stop the world from spinning, then you can make me break my promise. He's saying he will never break his promise. I think this is one of the most romantic things ever said. He's basically saying, Whenever you see a sunrise, whenever you see another day, you can remember and you can hear the voice of the Lord saying, I've kept my promise to you. I'll be faithful to you. Whenever there's another sunset, another night, it can be a reminder. It's a statement. It's a testimony. It's a proof that God still loves you. That he has kept his promise to you no matter what acts of injustice we've done during the day, no matter what acts of unrighteousness have filled our nights, God stands on his promise. He stands on his new covenant and he does it because he's got a new shepherd, a new kind of shepherd. He becomes the shepherd. The covenant incarnates. The promise is made a person. God becomes human in Jesus. In verse 17, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel, God promises. 
And then that man becomes Jesus, the God-man, our Messiah, our shepherd king who sits on the throne of heaven forever. In verse 18, there will never fail to be a Levitical priest on the throne. And Jesus, our great high priest, is that one who stands in the presence of God on our behalf forever. Israel can't keep up her end of the bargain. So God in Christ comes to fulfill both sides of the covenant. He keeps his promise, and in Christ, he keeps our promise for us. God makes a covenant that humans can't keep, so God becomes humans to keep the covenant with him. Praise the Lord. He is called our Lord and righteous Savior. Jesus is the one who does what is just and what is right. This is the new covenant. And when the writer of Hebrews is describing what it means that we have a place in this new covenant, he quotes Jeremiah. He says that God has made a new and living way, better than the old way, that Jesus, our great high priest, will guide us into this new and living way to be in relationship with God forever. And when Jesus sits with his followers on the night before he's handed over to suffering and death, he raises up the cup of the Passover and says, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying by his death and by his resurrection, there is a new way to be in relationship with God, a way where we don't have to be righteous or just to enter in, but that the righteousness and justice of Jesus makes a way for us so that there can be room in the promises of God, that the unfaithful can be forgiven, that the unjust, there will be mercy. This is the new covenant of Jesus. Praise the Lord. We have not loved God with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We've been a part of injustice. We've not cared for the poor and the widow. We've been a part of unrighteousness. We've not followed God's ways. But Jesus comes with this new promise that his blood shed for us offers forgiveness for the unfaithful, cleansing for the unrighteous that every single promise breaker could be loved and known by the promise maker and the promise keeper. This is the new shepherd who will gather us into the new pastures of his new promise. Have you received the promise of Jesus for you? Have you received it afresh on this new day? you can be a part of the flock of Jesus the shepherd. Verse 13 says that in the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills and of the Negev, in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, basically everywhere you can think of will have a new flock, a new pasture. They'll be all over the countryside and flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them. Each sheep, as it comes into the fold and into the pasture, the shepherd puts the hand on the head 
blessing and naming and knowing and counting. Oh, how good it feels to be counted. How good it is to be known, to know that you have a place and a part and that you matter when you realize you are numbered among the flock. Be counted as part of the new flock of the new shepherd. In this new flock, the the new shepherd counts, but he also multiplies. Verse 22, I will make the descendants of David. That phrase, I will make, is often translated, I will multiply. The shepherd counts, but the shepherd also multiplies. And this is a repetition of the promise God made to Abraham that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the heavens or the sand on the seashore, that they would be a blessing to all the nations. And the promise here is that the flocks of Jesus would be multiplied over every tribe and tongue and nation, that they would be numberless. The restoration from exile should have been a surprise. God in Jesus being the new shepherd would have been a shock. But what God says next is almost unthinkable. That we not only are shepherds or are sheep in his pasture, but we also become shepherds. Not only do we have a king, but we're made part of a royal family. Not only do we have a priest who offers us forgiveness of sins, but we become a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests that Jesus is going to multiply his flock through his flock. When it talks about the descendants of the shepherd, it's talking about us. We are numbered and we are known and we are multiplied. Revelation 6 has this scene where there's uh, some of the people of God around the throne and they say, how long, oh God, will, will you tarry? How long will we still suffer? And the Lord tells them until the number of their fellow ministers in the temple, until the number of their brothers and sisters should be complete. The shepherd is counting and multiplying until every person who wants to come under the hand of the shepherd and into the flock of the new promise can enter in. Jesus multiplies his flock through his flock, a kingdom of priests, so that every person is a priest, every home is a church, and every neighborhood is our parish. Our culture has been exiled into autonomous, isolated, individualistic wastelands. That was before COVID. But what if wherever there's been a desolation of relationship, a desolation of safety and life and beauty, what if there were pastors making pastures again? What if each of us as a shepherd was bringing each person around us under the hands of our care so they could come under the care of the Good Shepherd. What beauty might we see amidst the ruins of our neighborhoods? Jesus said, I have sheep who are not yet of this fold, and I must bring them also so that everyone is invited to pass under the hand of the one who counts them. How do we do that? 
when we feel like captives, besieged, exiled, or in ruins. Thanks be to God, we have a guide. And living as sheep of the good shepherd teaches us to be shepherds. Because Jesus is our good shepherd, so we lack nothing. He makes us to lie down in green pastures, even in the midst of desolation. He leads us beside still waters and restores our ruined spirits. He guides us through the valley of the shadow of death. He anoints our heads with oil as sons and daughters of the king. Our cups overflow with the blood of the new covenant shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And surely his goodness and love will follow us all the days of our life, as long as there still are days and nights. He will be our shepherd. Praise you, Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.